0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway.
1: You're listening to the Producer's Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner Ken Davenport.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. I'm very excited to have as my guest today, playwright Kirsten Childs. Welcome, Kirsten.
1: Thank you, Ken. Happy to be here.
0: Kirsten is the author of The Bubbly Black Girl Sheds Her Chameleon Skin, Miracle Brothers, Fly, Funked Up, Fairy Tales, and more. She's won an Obie, the Kleban, the Larson, the Richard Rodgers, the Gilman Gonzalez Follow Awards, and just about every other award out there for writers. Sounds nice. Uh, and she's also a professor in NYU's Grad Musical Theater Writing Program. Yes. But as esteemed as of a writer as you are, that's not how you got your start. You started as an actress. Is that true? Well,
1: actually, I started as a dancer. A dancer? Yes. And actually a modern dancer. I, you know, that's actually what I, I, I graduated from college as, as a modern dancer. And I came to New York and I actually um, was performing down in Alphabet City with a, a writer who you might know, uh, her name is Itazaki Shange, and I did choreo poems to you know, music and listen to people doing um, um I Danced to spoken word artists and music, and, um, I had a blast. Uh, and, but I, so I started as a a modern dancer, and one day, um, someone said, uh, they were doing um, a touring version of a Broadway show, uh, Chicago. And I went, and I knew nothing at all about theater. I'm from Los Angeles. My high school, my junior high school, my elementary school, nobody did musicals. But the musicals that I loved were the ones that I grew up watching on television. So someone, the one advice someone gave me was to sing loudly. <laughs> so, oh, sure, yeah, that's what. That's how you get to Broadway. <laughs> that's to how you get Broadway. You know, sing Had loudly.
0: A, was it? You weren't a singer at all. You were a dancer. You I was
1: a dancer. I never never took singing lessons ever, you know, but I like to sing. I mean, who doesn't like to sing? So I went to this audition and I, in my cutoff tights and my Hermes sandals and my baggy leotard and just said, woo, I'm here dancing on the stage of a Broadway theater. This is exciting. And um, I sang a song to the director. And loudly. It, loudly. And it was a 20s song called Goody Goody. I don't know if, it, if you know that song. So you met someone who set you back on your heels. Goody Goody. So I was just singing it shamelessly, you know, flirting with the, the director and saying, I hope you're satisfied, you rascal, you. And he was laughing. And I got that gig. And that director happened to be a little someone named Bob Fosse. So that is my career in um, uh, musical theater. That is how it started. I knew absolutely nothing about musical theater, but I loved it. That's the
0: best way to go into things, when you don't know a thing about it, because you weren't nervous, what the your no stakes fear. have, right? No stakes. Yeah. If you don't get it, you just go back to dancing and spoken word.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Next thing you know,
0: you're working with Fosse. That's it. How was that experience?
1: It was actually really wonderful. He, What I really admire about him, and everybody that worked for him, is the level of work. And, you know, we're not even talking about the talent. We're not talking about, you know, um, all of these other things. It's just the commitment to work. Um, He was was really, he was kind of a workaholic. And all the people that were around him were workaholics. And if you were not one, woe to you. But you didn't have to be the best dancer. You just had to try. You just had to try your best to do the work. He admired and respected that. He, he respected people on their their various levels of, you know, ability. But if they were trying 110%, that was what was important. At least that was my experience with him. I can't speak for everyone, but that was mine, and I highly admired him. So when did you make the
0: transition to being a writer, and how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I, um, I did a lot of shows, and um, unfortunately, uh, during part of... Uh, big part of my um, career as a performer, it was sort of in the era of the AIDS epidemic. And so I lost a lot of friends, and it became very difficult for me personally to be a performer. But I loved the the, um, business so much, I just wanted to find another way into it. And also, I was performing as... um, it was when I did the all-black version of The Boys from Syracuse um, at a, a regional theater, and that was actually the first time I had been in a, a, a show where everybody, pretty much everyone was a person of color um, because I had been like the token black person in, in Chicago. And um, what struck me was the level of... Um, talent in terms of acting that I had never witnessed because um, pretty much uh, black performers were either doing the all-black version of a show that was formerly for uh, created for white people, or they were doing a musical review, or it was just one black person in, in a show of mostly all-white people. So here I was watching all these people doing this incredible work, and I thought, you know, there should be shows that are that reflect the experience of the people in this um, show. And so I thought, I'm going to write a show, and I don't care if it's really bad. It will be my first attempt to try and write something um, that speaks to my experience. And pretty soon, somebody, because you know, the, the, the theater is full of very competitive people, somebody's going to say, that is not how you do it. Let me show you how, how to do write a show for black people. And then there would be two shows, one bad by me and one really good by somebody else. That was my secret plan. Once again, actually, <laughs>
0: interestingly enough, very similar to your Sing Loudly for Bob Fosse audition, there were no stakes there. Absolutely. You just were like, I'm just going to write this thing because, Absolutely. and it's going to be
1: bad and then someone will make a better one. And someone will make a better one and I will learn from my bad play um, how to become better. Uh, th- that was always the, the plan.
0: And what was that like?
1: It was actually a um, version of the Odyssey, but set in World War II. It was going to be about um, black soldiers, and the one person was going to experience an Odyssey coming back home to the, to the States after you know, fighting in the European theater of war. And was it good or was it bad? Oh, it was terrible. It was totally terrible. <laughs> I mean, maybe I could come back and look at it now, but it was terrible. But what it did was it helped me learn how to write lyrics. It helped me to see that it wasn't that easy to write a musical and that I needed to get help. And so I, you know, learned from that.
0: So what happened to it? when? You, so you wrote it and you were like, oh, wow, this is hard. Did, did it get up? Did something
1: happen? Oh, no, 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 no. What happened was um, that I uh, uh, sent it in as an application to the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program, and they saw something in it, and so then, they, then I became a student there, and then I learned more about the art of writing musicals and the craft of writing musicals.
0: Can I ask what age you were when you went through this? You can, can ask,
1: you... ask. I don't mind you asking. I hope you don't mind me not telling you. Ah,
0: nuts. <laughs> Uh, it just feels, what I love these stories of you were pursuing a totally different career and had a very
1: successful career. I did. And what I did.
0: So I have two questions about that. Mm -hmm. You could have kept performing. Obviously, there were some personal issues going on. It was very difficult for you, but you could have kept doing that. But you decided to take a step back and go back to school, which is really hard for a lot of people to do. What do you think gave you the courage to do that?
1: Well, it wasn't that hard of a, a thing for me because I was also taking acting courses. I mean, I've just always been, my both my parents were teachers, so I just figured I'd be studying and learning throughout my whole life. So that never caused any kind of fear. It, I was actually eager to learn the tools to help me. But um, what was interesting is once I started writing, I actually knew that I had found what I was looking for my whole life. I I, I actually remember, oh gosh, uh, I think his name was Ted Hooks. He had like um, a restaurant. Do, do you know Ted Hooks? He was a very, very well-known, I believe it was a restaurateur. And I remember him saying to me, do something, Kirsten, do something. And I knew what he was talking about because even though I was, you know, performing, and I was doing well as a performer. I wasn't really—it wasn't really grabbing me the way that once I started to write, and once I started to see people inhabit the characters that I was writing, that it, it wasn't like that until that moment. Um, I was doing something. Was it challenging for you to
0: start telling people you were a writer after many years of being a performer?
1: It was not because I was always hiding. I was When I was um, a dancer and I was trying to be a musical theater performer, I never told anybody I was a, a dancer. When I was a musical theater performer and I was trying to be an actor, I never told anybody I was a musical theater performer. When I was a writer, I never told anybody I was an actor. I was always hiding who I was, which is really stupid, but there you have it. you know. But it also was smart because there were certain people who had bad attitudes towards people who were not in their particular um, part of the business. And so I was very cagey and very scared. And, um, you know, as you get older, you just don't care as much. (laughs) So I'll tell you all, I was a dancer. I was a musical theater performer. I was an actor. You know, I did a film or two. And I was an extra in a lot of films. But, you know, I actually did, you know, movies.
0: Would you go back and perform now?
1: You know, I am so happy performing in my house, <laughs> creating characters. That's enough for me. Is I, that how
0: you do you write and act stuff? Oh, out?
1: yes. I am young people, old people, men, women, uh, animals, <laughs> whatever it is. It, it, I think my acting career has helped me sort of inhabit these characters, you know, sort of so that I can see how they interact with each other, how they come to determine what they need to do in the story.
0: We've had a lot of writers on. I don't actually think anyone has talked about whether they talk to themselves when they write. So I'm fascinated by this. Do you... Is that how you compose dialogue? Or do you write and then go, oh, I'm going to read this aloud and see how this goes and try to be this character and this character?
1: Um, it's a combination of things. If it... I really can't answer that. If it just feels right, then it feels right. Um... That's, you know, when I'm talking and it just feels like that's actually organically right, um, then I don't mess with it. Other times I put it down and I go step away and then I come back and take another look. You know, it just, it depends.
0: Obviously, you're a, you were a fan or are a fan of the NYU program because you're back there now teaching. Yeah, but think back when you went to school there, what was the biggest takeaway you got from the education like if you only had one lesson to take away from your education, what would that have been?
1: I think well, it's hard to put in one word, but I would say there are some things about collaboration that you that are to meet gold. Uh, It's a way of trying to communicate with somebody who is not you, but how you're both working on the same project, and how can you find that, the way to spark each other's imagination, but yet merge your imaginations into a a piece of theater, a piece of art. Um, I think to not think it's one, one person's way or the other person's way, but both of your ways. How do you communicate that, but still maintain your strong you know, convictions about what the piece should be? I think they teach you, if not that, a way to do that more, a way to try to do that more effectively. And I think that's valuable.
0: So what was the first show of yours that you saw up on its feet in front of an
1: audience? It was bubbly. It was. Yes. Because that's, was. of
0: course, where I remember you bursting on the scene and I mean, rushing over to Playwrights to get a ticket. Oh, my. Uh, so how was that for the first time when you saw a show up and in front of an audience? What was that experience like?
1: Well, I have to tell you, I enjoyed it in rehearsals. But when there would be an actual production, uh, Tim Sandford will tell you, he's the head of Playwrights Horizons, the minute it was intermission, I would run to his office because I just couldn't be around the audience. Um, And so my mind was not on the piece, unless I was hidden way up in the back where nobody could see me, then I could actually look and see what was going on. But it was so intimidating at first to have other people in the room that had nothing to do with the process actually experiencing the show. It it made me ill sometimes. Really? Yeah. What were you concerned about? Just because, well, maybe maybe because Bubbly was pretty much about me. (laughs) So perhaps people would be like, oh, what kind of person is that? Or, oh, that sucks. You know, those kinds of things. I mean, that's real, you know. But as it turned out, they didn't feel that way. So it was. A, it was I had a happy ending for that. Yeah, for sure.
0: Are you, do you still feel the same way when you see shows? No,
1: actually, now I can see, and it's very valuable to see when people are shifting in their seats and, you know, and when they're leaning forward. Now, you know, having had a few of these under my belt, I can actually, you know, separate myself as a writer to... Um, to sort of see what how the audience is feeling. And I, I look forward to it, actually.
0: Yeah, you have to, right, to learn yeah. from their response.
1: But then again, they're not bubbly and they're not me. <laughs> so these these other musicals, so I can actually go, oh, they're not, you know, they don't like this, but that's okay. They're, it's not that they don't like me. I know that's really silly, but that's real.
0: Uh What about reviews? Do you read reviews?
1: I do read reviews, and um, I've been reading reviews ever since I was a performer. So, you know, I mean, sometimes they're helpful, sometimes um, they're not helpful, sometimes they're devastating. But the thing that sort of keeps me, um, you know, together about them is the... People that are writing the reviews are writing them for the audience that is reading their paper or their their magazine or whatever. And they have to be true to that. That might be not be the audience I'm creating this musical for or this piece of theater for. And if I have to believe the good, I have to believe the bad. So I don't have to believe either one of those things.
0: You mentioned just now the audience that you're writing this for Mm -hmm. how do you come up with your ideas and do you think about that audience as you do like oh I want to write for this audience it sounds like that's one of the reasons you're first playing yeah so where did these well I see
1: a whole bunch of Kirstens sitting in the seats really I mean you know I write what pleases me and I know that there are other people like me that You know, it's clear some things that I see, you know, like on television or in the movies that I love, other people love. So I figure some of those people have to like what I like, you know. So that's the audience, the audience that has similar sensibilities to me, whoever they may be. Um, So I write what pleases me, what gives me enjoyment, what makes me laugh, what makes me cry.
0: Do you think, ooh, I'm going to write this for Broadway? What do you think about Broadway and its strange ecosystem?
1: You know, I think that I... There are some people who do write for Broadway. My, um, my uh, what is it? mission? My The thing that I, I am writing for is to create a presence that wasn't there before. And that is for people of color for women of color. Um, you know, there's a, a, you know there are a lot of sidekicks, but there are not a lot of protagonists that are uh, women of color or men of color. And that's sort of my mission is, um, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Well, it's interesting
0: you say that because I wrote a blog years ago when we were talking about diversity on stage. People mm-hmm. were talking about, and my big thing the analogy or metaphor that i used was it's like a flower if you want a different color flower you have to plant a different color seed mm-hmm. and it's the writers yes the more diverse writers we have they're going to write about the experiences that they know
1: well and i will actually i'll see you your writers and i'll raise you there might need to be more producers of color there need to be 100%. you know all sorts of places areas you know um in the business where there is an embracing of diversity. um, But I think we have to take whatever steps we can. But I I will honestly say that is not what I set out to do. I actually set out to write a story of somebody who I really knew. And so um, in terms of my other things, I'm writing stories about people that I want to know. So... And.
0: Give us a grade right now. How do you think we're doing in this d- diversity fight that we're in right now to, to become better? Oh god. You're the professor.
1: But you know, here's the thing at NYU in my school in my particular program, we don't have those kinds of grades. Pass fail. <laughs> Pass fail. And I think that um, I think that as long as we keep pushing and realizing that there's work to be done, and not sort of resting on our laurels, I think that that is a good thing. And I think we can always do more. I think we can do more, not just in terms of diversity, but of, you know, ethnicity, but also in terms of, I don't know, um, gender, um, disability, you know, all sorts of ways that I think that people are actually... Opening their eyes and opening their hearts too, you know. I, I, I think it's an ongoing process, and it will always be an ongoing process because the human race is an ongoing process. And Wasn't was, that a great po- 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 politic answer? It really, but was. it really is true. It really is true. Uh,
0: it was better than a politic answer because I believe yours. <laughs> well, and I, I actually mean it. <laughs> is there anything specific you can even tell me? Mm -hmm. Or any of the people listening that we can do today to Mm -hmm. help make
1: this situation better? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I just think, um, just always have your heart open. Just always allow that maybe when you hear somebody complain instead of sort of backing away, lean into it. You know, when you hear somebody, and and determine whether or not it actually has merit. And if it doesn't have merit, that's fine, but a lot of times when people are saying, you know, this should be this way, there is some validity to it. I remember when I first started as a, a performer, Sometimes people would say things and you know like, oh, I wish there were more, you know, there was more diversity and people would automatically close their minds to it because they would be thinking wrongly that someone was attacking them. And I think that just the wish for that is not an attack on anyone. It's, just, it's a sincere wish. Whether or not anything can be done about it is up to the players, but just to keep your heart and mind and ears open.
0: Now you are on the faculty at NYU.
1: Mm -hmm. What's the biggest
0: issue you see young writers struggling with today? If there was one thing, one mistake, for lack of a better word, that you see, what would that be?
1: I think that... And this, I don't... I, I would not say that this is something that is, you know... Uh, native to just you know writers at um, NYU, I think this is typical of all young writers. They want to write about things that are so removed from them they haven't had a chance to explore who they are yet, and so, and it's from a a, um, a, a wish of actually being you know uh, more open to the world. But I think that a mistake. I will say the mistake that I made with my very first musical is that I wanted to showcase, you know, ills that were going on, but I didn't really understand who I was. And so since I didn't understand who I was, it was kind of difficult to understand who the other characters were. And I think if you don't start from your own truth, sometimes it's a little difficult to craft a story around characters that, you don't quite understand. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. I actually was thinking about Jonathan Larson there mm-hmm. in you know what eventually became the remodeled you know tick tick boom. But he mm-hmm. was writing about him turning thirty, right. as a composer who was trying to succeed. And of course, that show really didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until later that he was able to do Rent. And I think a lot of young writers come out of the box trying to write late Miz or West Side Story. Right. And they can't
1: yet. They can't yet, but you know what? They might as well do that because how do you learn except from through your mistakes? So do it. I actually don't think it's a problem. I think it's good to make those mistakes. I think you should be dreadful at the beginning, and, but also just really get into the dread and then have somebody help you figure out how to craft it into something beautiful,
0: How do you deal with when something you do now doesn't achieve the success that you thought it might? You finish something, you're like, this is amazing, this is great, this is going to be the one. Mm -hmm. And then if it isn't that, how do you go through that process? You seem to be a very open-hearted person.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you don't know me kidding. No. (laughs) Um, What can you do? I mean, the truth of it is, if you really believe in something, then it's not, you know, it may be doesn't work for someone else but if you know that it works the test of time will will tell the truth um, and I don't have any um, business bemoaning that I need to work on my next project so uh, that is exactly what I'm doing. I mean it's a hard lesson but uh, we were talking before this started about James Lapine and I remember I, had, I did a show and it didn't get the greatest um, of reviews, and I still believe in that show, which I won't say which one it is, but I remember um, James was so nice. I talked to him and he said, welcome, now you're here. How can you argue with that? (laughs) That actually, you know, made it a little bit better. It didn't make it completely okay, but it made it actually a lot more than a little bit better.
0: What do you think of the current musicals on Broadway right now? You think, uh, give the current musicals a grade. How how is the American musical doing?
1: Um, You know, gosh, I think that there are some incredible musicals. And I think some are not as interesting to me, but I will say that they're pleasing to the audience, you know, because I I go to the theater and I see people who are having a great time at at ones that I'm not particularly having a great time at, and then there are ones that I'm having the most wonderful time at that people are having a great time at, and then there are also ones that I love that other people don't love. So, I don't know. It's hard for me to grade. It's really hard for me to grade. You're so nice. Well, I just know how, how long it takes to craft these things and how much love people put into them. So who am I to judge, you know, beyond my personal um, preferences for, for musicals, who am I to judge what's the best? I, I don't know. I, I, I respect and admire everybody for putting in the work. And there's a lot of, as you well know, There's a lot of work in a music work. work.
0: Okay, my last question, which is my genie question. Okay. I want you to imagine the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you. Oh, okay. To grant you one wish. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to have to really dig into how nice you are or not. Okay. Um, What's the one thing about the industry, about the theater industry, that actually makes you mad that makes you angry that drives you crazy that gets you frustrated that can make you flip up this table knock the microphone over that you'd want this genie to wish away in an instant
1: wow I guess it's not that it makes me mad but it, it it's disappointing that there is not a, a diversity Speaking of, um, you know, critical reviews, that there are not enough, there's not enough diversity of um, criticism that has the power to determine what, you know, survives on Broadway and what, or off-Broadway and what doesn't. um, Because everybody has... It's not a question of people not, you know, reviewing whatever, but that people have the power to make and break a musical based on their particular way of looking at the world, their particular world view. Um, That is disappointing, because I know that there are different audiences for different um, shows, and sometimes people don't appreciate what's there to be appreciated because they don't know it and it's not their personal reference and frankly it might make them a little uncomfortable in a way that they're not even registering that it's making them uncomfortable so I think that that is my most I wouldn't say it makes me angry it's a source of frustration and disappointment Um, yeah because I don't like to get angry because it's a waste of my energy
0: (laughs) Knew we'd get that answer
1: from you. Well, thank <laughs> you for that, and thank you for your positivity. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening out there. We will see you next time on the producer's perspective podcast.